It's good to see you here this morning and glad you made the choice to be at ABF. I know it is a choice. It's kind of fun to, to see kind of the finished product, if you will. It's turned out really nice. We're joking about it this morning with the more conservative wood on the front side then a little bit more radical on the back. We said it's kind of like a mullet, you know, conservative in the front, a little more risky in the back. And, uh, and so, anyway, glad you're here. Okay, some of you didn't get that. Uh, so glad that you're here, though, and uh, just grateful for the Lord and His faithfulness to us as a church. And uh, this morning, wanted to share again from God's Word. We're going to be diving into Mark chapter 5. You can start turning your Bibles there if you'd like. I was thinking yesterday, I had an interesting opportunity. I had, thank, thankful to the uh, Winninghams, they invited me to come to my very first college football game. So I had the opportunity uh, to go see the USC game and... Uh, I uh, got to be a part of that. So saw so the whole adventure. I mean, that, that place, I mean, just packed with, I've been corrected on it. What's the term for what colors? I said red and yellow in the first service. I got in a lot of trouble. Crimson and gold. Crimson and gold. Oh. Uh, uh, and uh, what do they say? University of Spoiled Children? Oh, sorry. Um, but, uh, but so got to go there and see the, this, this phenomena called football, college football. I mean, it was fun to take in the, the sights, the sound, the bad food. I mean, it was, I mean, they had these hot dogs wrapped in bacon. It was, it was some fun stuff happening there. Lots of, lots of uh, school spirit. But in the very end of the game, I mean, we, I, I got sucked into it because I'm kind of a, a blank slate. I don't have a college football team, so I don't feel like I'm cheating on any Chicago teams. So we're giving high fives with the players around as they're leading the whole game. And we got just about three minutes left, and there are two touchdowns ahead, and they're like, oh, we got this in the bag. Then goes the 70-yard play for the touchdown number one. And you're like, well, we're okay because we've got the ball back. You know, they're, they're, we just have to waste some clock. Anybody that watched football saw this. And, of course, they leave them with 20 seconds left in the game. And this, this freshman quarterback, backup quarterback, throws a 46-yard bomb into the end zone, gets caught by the other team to win the game for Arizona. And it was phenomenal just looking around and seeing like the, the look on everybody's face. It was like a unified 20,000, however many people in there, just like, what? What just happened? And the, the funny thing is, is the title of my sermon today was... What just happened? And so I'm like, whoa, I got to actually experience that in person. And many of you can bring to mind maybe some more relevant uh, experiences of what just happened when you're talking about the, the spiritual realm. And here in the, our example this morning, we have a what just happened moment. And I come to believe as we start to unpack the story of Jesus' life is his disciples, the guys that had committed to follow him around, that was kind of part of their deal. I mean, they went from a one what just happened moment to another, right? Like, can you imagine the existence of a disciple just going from one thing? Oh, oh, he, he just turned the, he changed the molecular structure of water into wine and fed this, this wedding party. Oh, he just, with a word, healed this, this person and, and reformed this guy's hand or, or this, this little girl that had already died and he raised her back to life. What, what just happened? Or most recent, they're coming in the beginning of this story as we dive into the text. They're just getting off of a boat where there's a huge storm and he commanded the storm to stop. Like, what just happened? What just happened? The truth is, is when you walk close to the Lord, your life and your experience is full of what just happened moments, right? 
full of that. And so this morning, excited to dive into this. This is a, a wonderful uh, account, probably one of the more interesting stories in the life of Christ, the most powerful display of power against demons since God eradicated them from heaven. But really another proof for anybody that wants to walk that line and say, you know, he was just a, a good guy. He was a prophet, you know, had some good teaching, lived a good life, a great example. Like, wait a second, this account of Jesus' life was more than that. It was showing that he reigned over the physical and now in this text this morning, we're going to see he reigned over the spiritual. He had authority over heaven and over earth. He, he was reigning over all of it. Another picture of who Jesus Christ is. In the account of John, he tells us why these different stories are, are captured. John 20, 31, he says, But these are written, why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's why these accounts are given. So you get a bigger picture that you see Jesus wasn't just any ordinary guy. He's God in the flesh, God in the earth suit, if you will. And this is another story pointing to his complete authority, another wow moment. Let me pray for us before we dive in. Dear Lord, thank you so much that you are an amazing God, a compelling God, one that we can't help. The more we investigate, the more we unpack what you looked like, how you lived, how you engaged with the world around you, the more drawn we are to you. And I pray for that even this morning, that we would fall a little bit more in love with you, a little bit more compelled. And for somebody that showed up here this morning that hasn't embraced you as Savior, that this might be the tipping point. God, we pray for that. We commit this now into your hands. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles, it's so much easier to walk through a text with you if we're all looking at the same thing. We're going to be in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20 with this uh, fantastic account that I mentioned. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, the nice thing is there's one in the chair in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, the nice thing is, is I'm giving you permission to steal in church. I'm giving you permission to take one of those home with you. And so feel the freedom to do that. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. I'll start just with a little section here at the beginning. I'm describing this as a surprise welcome. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore. Not even with a chain, for he had often bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. Crazy. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, listen to this, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Wow. Crazy intro to this section of scripture. A little backdrop there that when it describes the, the country of the Gerasians, this, this was a rural area, just kind of a, a farming community, basically directly across from Galilee, across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had instructed them to come across the uh, Sea of Galilee. A couple interesting things is one thing is along that coastline still to this day, it has large cliffs. 
And in these cliffs are cut out areas where they've used these as tombs rather than a traditional hole in the ground, if you will. That's where they kept uh, bodies after they had passed. And so this, this cliff, if you can imagine coming up on this boat, you're, you're seeing this cliff full of all of these tombs. And so that's what the disciples are arriving to, most likely still at night since they had left it on the trip in the evening, it said in the pre- previous chapter. So they're arriving. You can picture this scene. Imagine Jesus had just stilled the sea, made everything completely calm with a word. Wow. And then you're, you're in the boat still, and you're coming up to the coastline, and you start hearing off in the distance. You're like, what is that? Somebody screaming and wailing? I thought this was like a big cemetery. Like, what, what's going on here? Can you imagine the hearts are racing? Like, they hadn't, even, they hadn't had a chance to recuperate from the previous what-in-the-world-happened moment, and now they're about to go into a new one. And imagine in their minds, they're like, whatever's doing that screaming right now, whatever that is, I'm hoping we can come ashore and not have to meet it. Can you imagine? Like, I mean, all these things would, would be going through your head. And so they're coming up. And what does it say in the text? No such luck. It says, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Who is this guy? What, is, what, is it, what does it mean when it says unclean spirit? Later in the chapter in verse 18, it describes him also as being demon-possessed. So this unclean spirit was saying, basically, he's no longer driving the ship. Like this guy had some, something else, a demonic presence we're going to see in the text as we dive in, something else was driving, guiding him, directing him, no longer in control of himself. So the question is, as the disciples see this, they must have been wondering, man, how's Jesus going to respond to this? Like, how's he going to respond to this? I imagine they're getting off the boat and they're all kind of tucking behind Jesus, kind of hiding, hoping, hoping that he would take some kind of authority in this scenario. And so here, similar to as any time he encountered people, Matthew 9, 36, we see compassion. He says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they are harassed and helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. No different here. That's how he sees this man as harassed and helpless, a sheep without a shepherd. And he's true to that in the way that he responds to him, as we're going to see in the text, is in an act of compassion, an extreme act of compassion. You can imagine this guy, he was in a pretty bad place. Basically, sin had, had, had played itself out in his life. He had submitted, I imagine, over time, more and more control and reign till now, no longer having any control. Now he's living, it says, where does he say that he's coming from in the text? From the tombs. He, it says that he dwelled there. So in, in Matthew and Luke, they give a similar account of the same instance. In fact, it describes him as, as being naked and living amongst the, the, these tombs. And so, I mean, this guy's in a pretty desperate place. It describes him as being tormented night and day, that is always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Crazy, right? says in the past they'd, they'd tried to shackle him. Like, it was still, think to this day, what we do with somebody that's, like, extremely crazy. Like, what, what do they wrap around somebody? A, a straight jacket? Or I, well, they've kind of gotten away from that. Or, or what, put them in a padded room, right? That's kind of more common or more uh, pr- closer to present day. Or, or now, it, probably more relevant would be just numbing their mind with drugs so they're just kind of drool coming out. But this case, n- none of that was ha- happening. He was there in completely 
out of control, completely out of control. Matthew's account says that nobody would pass by because he was so violent. Probably not helping with tourism in that area, I'm guessing. You know, like your welcoming committee, you need to rethink that. And so he's, so Jesus shows up and that's what he's greeted with. Always crying out a little bit, a little glimpse of hell, right? Little glimpse of hell on earth. Surprise, when I say a surprise welcome, it's a surprise welcome for one, for the disciples arriving, but a little bit of a surprise welcome or introduction, if you will, to what reality is independent of Christ reigning in somebody's life. It's a, I don't know if you guys use the, the, any of the apps for navigation on your phone or Siri, although she really left me hanging the other day. But, um, but uh, uh, there, there's a, a number of them out there. My new favorite is this one called Waze. Have you tried this? And it has a boy band mode where it sings you directions. It's kind of interesting. So, but, but anyway, the, one of the things on all of them is you can, you can have a fast forward overview of what's to come, right? You get a little, when you start your directions, you can fast forward and see like, okay, well, what's coming up? What's, what's the next turn? And I think of that in terms of this is very similar in that account is this is a little bit of a forecast of what does it look like as sin and rebellion and submission to the, to, to the enemy? What does that look like played out? You see a little bit of that reality in this man as a, as a picture of that, a forecast of, you will, of life independent of Christ. So what's this interaction going to look like? Verse 6, titled this Dialogue with a Demon. It says, And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, the demons, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. Pause there. Pretty, pretty crazy. I put this for dialogue with a demon, kind of a, a picture there of like, what, what kind of a man was this? Like, what kind of a, a crazy, insane man? I'm not going to leave that picture up because it's a little bit too disturbing, but you get the idea of what that must have been like. This is the welcoming, welcoming committee that he receives there, and now he's interacting. He's having this conversation a lot of times in, when we're in our, our present day world, we can be exposed to haunted houses and different things that are supposed to be scary. And we can kind of dismiss them because you're like, well, that's, that's man created, that's simulated. But here in this text, this is the real deal. This is the reality of encountering a dark presence, a demonic spirit, not just one as we're going to see a legion of them in this man. This is serious. And for us, as Christians still to this day, it's finding a balance of not ignoring the reality of demonic beings, but not overemphasizing them either. Because the truth is, is that he that's in us is greater than he is who in the world. So that's one of the things that we can hope and why that picture shouldn't bring fear to us. But still, the point is, this interaction was pretty crazy. We're not exactly sure. Scripture doesn't outline exactly how someone is possessed. 
But what we do know is that there's different things that people can do to kind of set the table or leave doors open, just maybe toying with things that are not meant to be toyed with, things having to do with the occult or with drugs. There's a lot of things, magic. There's a lot of things that open doors to deception and put ourselves in danger. What does this look like today? How does, uh, like, you see all of these accounts in the New Testament, you're like, man, there's all this demonic activity. Like, did that just go away? You know, like, what, what does that look like today? And a lot of people have different thoughts and perspectives on this. Sometimes it's a lot more subtle than maybe this crazy man living naked in the tombs. Maybe it's more of a, of a spirit that's in somebody. Maybe it's a divisive person even sitting in a chair in the church even in this moment. Maybe it's, it takes different looks. I, I remember when I was in college, we had different teams that would go out on these outreach teams, and we had one that went to the Dayton Mental Health Center in Dayton, Ohio. I went to Cedarville University, and I remember showing up there, and so many times the encounters with people there, you're like, you know what, there's, there's just no explanation other than a demonic presence there. Even talking to some of the, the, the patients there as they're talking in the, in the third person and they're talking about this person and this. And wait a second, you're not talking about somebody else. You're talking about you being multiple people. And, the, and, and here in this day, it might look a little bit different. We maybe have put some different labels on it, but still a reality. In this example, this man, which is fascinating to me, immediately recognize who Jesus was. I imagine the word had gotten out amongst the demonic spirits in that region. They knew exactly. And where, although the crowds, as we talked about last week, had dismissed him as like, no way this is the Messiah. What, is, what does this demon do? First thing he does is comes running and you can imagine this guy running at you. What's going to happen? He's running at him. And what does it say that he does? Bows down before him bows down against this man that couldn't be subdued, that was breaking shackles with who knows what kind of supernatural strength, this man that couldn't be held down, the first thing he does is bows before Jesus Christ. Bows before Jesus Christ. Who does that say Jesus is? What does that tell you about who he is? Like When, when you look at this account of, of this interaction, that's got to tell you something about who he is. And what does he, what does he describe? He says, he refers to him as Jesus, the son of the most high God. He recognizes immediately who he's dealing with and who the boss is, right? He, he's not trying to oppose Jesus. What does he come doing? He comes pleading with them. And so for me, I think to myself, man, if even the demons bow and submit to him and say, hey, you're the, you're the boss, why is it in our culture, in our community, why are people so slow to bend a knee? Why are people so slow to acknowledge who he is? In this interaction, Jesus asks him, although I'm sure he knows who he is, asks him his name. What does he describe himself? It must have been a demon representative, a, a spokesman out of the many. He describes what? He describes himself as legion. Why? Because legion means many. In the Roman culture, a legion was up to 6,000 men in the military was described as a, as a legion. He's saying, listen, it's not just one of me in here. It's lots of us. We've taken over. We're reigning and having a parade in this guy's life, tormenting him. And what they're confused about, it's interesting. He asked Jesus, what have you to do with me? You'd think you're like, well, I'm Jesus and you're bad. I'm good. Like that, you'd think that answer would be like pretty common. But even it's interesting that they ask him, it says, it says, have you come here to torment us before the time? 
before the time, pointing that the demons' eschatology, their understanding of how things are going to play out was maybe even better than some of ours. He, he, he understood that, hey, this isn't when you're, we're, we're supposed to head towards eternal judgment. We've, got, we've still got some time here. And so the demons confused about the timing in this instance, recognizing that their torment is to come upon Jesus' second coming. And so here he's asking, they're, they're wondering, what are you doing here? It's interesting that they plead what they plead for gives another picture of what life independent of Christ is. What does he plead for? The demons, they say, can we go set up shop in these pigs? Can we go re- reside in the, this new lodging? Can we move in? There's these 2,000 pigs. Can we, anybody else been around pig, pigs very often? Kind of gross animals, right? Kind of wallow around in their own junk and like just kind of messy. I mean, I mean, I still love bacon, but I mean, pigs are gross. Like they're gross animals when you interact. And what does that tell you about life independent of Christ? Man, living with the pigs, living with the pigs. They'd rather do that. They'd rather do that. And so, so this reality, and you've got to wonder as I was reading that, I'm just like, you know what, why doesn't, why doesn't Jesus just send them straight to hell? You know, that's where they're, they're headed eternally anyway. Why doesn't he just send them right there with a, with a word? It's God has a plan. He's got a divine purpose. It's all part of his, his bigger picture. And maybe some things that we're maybe uncomfortable with, the reality that the demonic spirits is all part of the backdrop for the huge decision that every single person has on this planet to either accept or reject Jesus Christ, that they serve a purpose in his master plan as well. And some of us aren't, aren't real comfortable with that reality, but Jesus, as we see here, reigns over the demonic forces just like everything else in creation. So here, what do they, they ask? They plead with them to be sent to the pigs. Let's see what Jesus does. I titled this The Swine Dive. So... He gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man and the one who had uh, had the legion sitting there clothed in his right mind, they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. They began, listen to this, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Fascinating response. Let's look at this a little, some, some facts there. I mean, another what-in-the-world moment. What happened? What just happened moment 2,000 pigs. Can you imagine this scene? Like the, the demonic spirits going into these two, a huge herd. Like 2,000 is a lot of pigs. And all of them then doing what? Remember we talked about it being on, the, uh, on a cliff region uh, into the water? All of them doing a dive. Can you imagine if you're just a bystander watching this? Like one pig after another or all together? Like I don't know how it worked. All of them lunging into the water and I come to see I guess pigs can't swim very well and, and, and so thousands of pigs meeting their end now now before the animal rights people are like get too freaked out these weren't show pigs I'm guessing they're eventually going to be a meal anyway this just fast-tracked that and so the, this now the the sea, sea of Galilee now the the Bay of Pigs a pretty intense moment and uh, sorry about that, I had to. But, uh, but a pretty intense moment there, pretty dramatic, that they're like, what is going on? 
Reminded me of an article I read a, a few years back about an account of a happening in Turkey. It says, first one sheep jumped to its death. It's a true story. Then stunned Turkish shepherds who had left the herd to graze while they had breakfast watched as nearly 1,500 other sheep followed, each leaping off the same cliff. Turkish media reported, in the end, only 450 animals died as they lay on top of one another in a billowy white pile. And the Askman newspaper said, those who jumped later were saved as the pile got higher and the fall more cushioned. And so, and so kind of crazy account there. I, I felt like I needed to share that. But this, there was no cushion. Like, these aren't sheep. This is, these are literally pigs lunging to their death. I don't know why I pulled that in there. But uh, you, you get the, the point is a pretty noteworthy story. Another opportunity for God, Jesus, in the, God in the flesh saying, man, look at the power at my disposal. Is there anything that's going to cause you to bend a knee and actually believe? Is there anything that's going to cause that? The man, the man, can you imagine seeing the man, this guy that all of the people were afraid of from the town? I'm sure everybody had heard about the crazy naked man, you know, like that's something that spreads through a, an area. And so they're seeing him sitting there. I'm picturing him like in a nice suit, like sipping tea now with Jesus, but maybe not. But, uh, but you can imagine a completely transformed life. I love that about Jesus Christ, how he takes something that seems like it's completely lost, completely helpless, completely no hope whatsoever, and he takes it and transforms it, makes it new. We sing about it often here in church, how he, he takes broken things and makes them new. I wanted to share with you guys a, a brief video of an account of a, a friend of mine from Chicago who has one of those similar stories where it's like, man, this guy was lost. How did God do something with that story? Check out this video. The Latin Kings is probably one of the biggest Latin criminal organizations. They're known for their brutality, their servants of sin to the core, even though they portray another image. The gang life just basically consists of using drugs, selling drugs, using guns. It's a life of sin, of corruption, of crime. It's the fall of many, many good individuals. My name is uh, Anthony Acevedo. I go to Elgin Harvest Bible Chapel. When I was 13 and a half, I started going to school out here in Aurora, North Aurora. It was a behavior disorder school, and uh, I met a Latin king there from Carpentersville, and he basically was like, hey man, you know, uh, you should come with us. We see what type of guy you are, we like that. You know, a day came, I got my initiations in, and then from that day forward, I was, uh, I was an affiliated member. And when I was hanging around him, I just loved it. I loved it, I'm like, yeah, this is me. I, 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 I couldn't be nothing else but this if I was gonna be in the gang. Now I understand that it was by the grace of God that saved him because he was like two feet in front of me when I shot him. I shot at him five times. I only hit him twice. I thought I got away with murder. Not to find out that uh, half an hour later I get arrested. One of my first cellies that I had, he was a, he was a believer. He was leaving. He was being released back to population. He was like, here, I want you to have my Bible. And I'm like, well, it's your Bible your mother gave you, and it's a very nice Bible. I can't, what am I gonna do with that? I'm not even gonna read it, you know? He's like, take it out. So I'm just like, hey, I got this Bible, you know, I got other books, but uh, 
I'm going to read this just because I know a lot of people talk about this Bible. I'm like, I want to know about this Bible. So I'm like, I got all the time in my hands. I'm going to learn this. I'm like, I'm going to read this from cover to cover. So when people want to talk about the Bible, I could just criticize them or I could just shut them down or whatever it was. That's how I looked at it. So um, I started in the book of uh, Genesis. It just went all the way through until, um, until the book of Revelations. And uh, it took me about a year to do that. I started liking it a lot. I'm like, wow, the Bible's good, you know. Got to the Gospels, you know. I'm like, wow, this Jesus. I heard, of course, I heard of Jesus, you know. I'm just starting to recognize things. I'm starting to see things a little different. Uh, of course, I prayed, you know, at night before I went to sleep. And uh, my normal prayer, you know, just going through the motions. Hey, God, you know, I just started praying. And in the midst of that prayer, what I heard within my prayer, you know, it wasn't audible, it was within. It's over with. Today's the day. Today is the day that you're going to serve me. Today is the day that you're no longer going to be a Latin king. That's over with. You're going to serve my kingdom. And I'm, you know, in my prayer, I was just like, what? You know, like, nah, <laughs> I, I hear this. Where is this coming from, you know? And I'm like, I know you don't want me to live this life, and I know there's nothing good of it, but I mean, I've just been involved in it for so many years. This is all I know. They're my brothers and my family. I mean, you're telling me to walk away from everything I've known. That's my identity. That's my self-worth. That's who I am. I'm not a man without them. I was like, it's again. He's like, no, you're going to serve me. You're going to serve me. And I was like, all right, you know what? I'm not even gonna sit here and try to argue if this is you. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna need the peace about this, and I'm gonna need courage, and I'm gonna need some strength. I'm like, cause I'm not gonna be able to do this. As soon as I got them praying, I just I got up and I'm just like, I mean, instantaneous. It was like I had peace. I really think I could just walk away from everything I've known, basically my life. I, I think I could walk away from this. I hit my butt, my celly's bunk. I'm like, hey, he's like, what's up? I'm like, it's over with, man. It's over with. He's just like, yeah, I, he didn't know what I was talking about though. But I'm just like, yeah, it's over with. And I was just happy. I just had, I had a peace like I probably never felt in my life. I was just happy and I'm just like, cool, cool, you know, this is, I don't know what's gonna happen, but I'm gonna go to sleep. <laughs> we'll go figure it out tomorrow. As of this moment, I'm disassociating all ties. I'm no longer engaging in none of you guys' activities. I'm like, I'm a man of God. I'm Anthony now, you know, I'm like, um, I'm not Tone no more. I'm not King Tone no more, I'm Anthony. I was at that facility for exactly two months after I made a decision. Nothing happened to me. I just kept going to church even more. I kept reading my Bible even more. I, uh, I actually began to start fellowshipping with other Christian brothers there. I was Jesus Christ crazy in there. I was just representing like I was representing the kings. You know, I told people, you know, I took off my crown, I pick up a cross, and I'm following Christ, you know. I'm, oh man, that's, that's what it's about. When I got out, I, I was a man, and I knew what a man was. A man, to me, was identified in Christ. Everything changed, you know, not only am I a man physically, I'm 26 and a half years old when I was released, but I'm a man spiritually, I'm a, I'm a child of God, I mean, just where I was at was just so different, I knew that I was nothing without God. It's a place where I felt, I just loved. Instantly walking in, you just feel, you just feel love in a way I never felt it before. The small group was very vital for me at that moment. Um, you know, the brothers really ministered to me. I was speaking with my group leader, um, when we were speaking about baptism, you know, I'm like, I need to get baptized. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a new boss, and your boss wants you to get baptized. I'm just like, what? <laughs> I put my brother and get out the way. I'm getting baptized. Well, why are you coming up here to be baptized? Because I want to let the world know that Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. That's why. My favorite verse is 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So I'm just like, man, that's me. That's me all day. I'm, I'm a new creature. Yeah, I still sin. You know, this walk is not easy compared to the life I've lived. But I'm new. I'm just loving it. I'm just loving it. Pretty powerful story, isn't it?
It's fun for the last couple of years to develop a friendship with uh, Anthony. And you can see just this uh, last spring, Anthony and his new bride, he's now at Moody Bible Institute and uh, uh, pursuing becoming a minister himself. Um, we're out here visiting. They came to a service here. It's just fun, fun to see how God's working and taking something that you assume is like, man, 15-year-old kid shot somebody already five times at a close range. It hit him twice. And, and God wants to take that person and restore him and make him new. And then the question is, how does the world around respond to it? In this, in this case, you would think, man, what an invitation for a mass revival amongst these pigs herdsmen, you know, amongst the townspeople. Like, what, what in the world would God have to do to get their attention more than that? But it came to a crossroads. How would they respond? And we'll see, and we see in the text that what did they do? They responded not because they're angry about the lost pigs. Not, not because they were, because they were upset about, uh, or, or like, hey, what happened to this crazy guy? They responded. What does it say? It says that they were frightened. They were frightened in their response to him. See, there's something about being exposed to the power and the majesty of Almighty God that in response to it, you're just like, whoa. Like, what is this that I'm dealing with? Like, what is this supernatural being that I, I just crossed paths with? And that's exactly what happened to them. They came to a crossroads of what to do with that. There's two responses. Somebody can be exposed to the almighty God and his greatness and be like, like the demons. Got, got, on, got on their knees and submit. And, and in that case, too late, but for us not. And, and, and that's one potential response. And their response to fear, how they dealt with it, was says, you got to get out of here. You got to leave. What does it say in the text? It said they pleaded with him to leave. Can you imagine that? This guy that just did this radical, they, they didn't take any time to investigate. Like, who are you? Because the truth is, is when you're exposed to almighty God and his greatness and his majesty, there's something in us that tells us, wait a second, something's going to need to change in my life, right? Something's going to have to change when you're exposed to Almighty God. There's going to need to be some transformation. And the truth is, they weren't quite, quite ready for that. They weren't, quite, they, they weren't ready to admit their lost place. Like the truth is, they were just as destitute and messed up as the naked guy playing in the court with the, in, in the tombs. They were just as lost. They just had a little better outer shell. The truth is some corpses look better than others, but dead is dead. And that's the, that's the scenario there. They were all lost. And how did they respond? They chose, they were the hard soil that we talked about last week. They said, you need to get out of here. John three nineteen talks about this. It says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. The truth is they didn't want to change. They weren't ready to embrace the truth. They would rather go back to the way things used to be with the crazy guy running around, them doing their things and herding pigs. They would rather do that than change. But here, responding to their request, it's interesting to see what Jesus did. He actually, he did what they asked. He left in the, in the account of his life. He never returned to that region. Pretty scary truth of what happens when we reject Almighty God. The, but in verse 18, we see that he gave him one more chance for, her, for hope. Verse 18 says, And he was getting into the boat to leave, per their request. It says, The man who had been, had been possessed with demons begged him 
that he might be with that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Pretty neat account there. The first thing that you'll notice is, what I notice is there's a lot of pleading that goes on in this text. What First, the, the demons pleading to uh, set up residence in the pigs. Then it's the people pleading with them to leave. And then the person that had actually encountered God's grace and mercy, what does he plead? He's like, just let me just be with you. Let me just follow you and spend time with you. And I was thinking about that. I was like, well, isn't that kind of mean of Jesus to be like, hey, why, why, why don't you just let the guy come along? He'd be, he'd be a great opening act, you know, a, a opening video, like, a, like a, on, on your mission, Jesus. That would have been perfect, a testimony of, of life change. But no, what does he tell him to do? Just go out, tell your friends, tell the people you care about, go, go into the region. And I, I love that it says that he went into Decapolis, was the, which was not just one town, it was a, a region. Starts going around and being able to say, listen, I was the demon-possessed crazy guy living in the tombs, and God showed up. God showed up. That's what the invitation was. A lot of people are just like, yeah, I know I'm called to go out and share my faith with people, but uh, you don't really know what I've experienced. You don't know what I've been through. Legion must be like, are you kidding me? Like, are you serious? Like right now? Like, look, look what I was and how he's able to use me. He's the, the very first missionary, the first person Jesus sent out. Like, if he can use him, a lot of people are like, oh, but, but I don't have enough training. I don't know enough. What if somebody asked me a question I don't know? The truth is, the, the truth is, if we know enough to be saved from pending judgment, we know enough to tell someone how to be saved. If we know enough how to, how to be saved ourselves, we know enough how to share the good news, how to proclaim it as we talked about last week. And so he sends them out and it wasn't, it wasn't saying just trying to be mean to this guy, saying, hey, you can't hang out with us. We got a, our club here. It's because he had a bigger purpose. He had a greater purpose. We're gonna see in the, in the New Testament as you unpack it, like that region, there is lots of movement of, of God doing a work in that, in that area because of this first missionary going out. So... The question is, how would people respond to him? It says, look, as he went out, everyone marveled. Everyone marveled. There's something about a story of life change that's compelling. There's something about seeing a video like that where you're just like, man, that's an awesome God we have. Like that degree of compassion, that degree of, of picking the least of these. If anybody qualified for the least of these, like Legion definitely fit the bill, right? And it's interesting this wasn't just a haphazard thing that Jesus did. It says in Mark 4.35 that he told his disciples, let's go across to the other side. Let's go across to the other side. Do you think he knew what was on the other side? Do you think he knew who was in that region? Do you think he maybe knew a little bit about this encounter that was to happen? It tells you a little bit about the level of compassion that our God has for people. The way he wants to seek and, and find the lost. He's, he, he goes out, he leaves the sheep so he can find the lost. And then he invites us to do the same, right? He invites us to do the same, not to just stay in our nice Bible studies and prayer meetings as important as those are, but he's telling you, go out, man. Go out. There's lots of people that need to hear this hope. There's lots of people that need to respond to this. A fantastic what just happened moment, right? 
Can you imagine, like as you're the, the, these disciples processing all this, what just happened? The truth is, is when you're walking close to Christ, what just happened moments should be a regular occurrence, in my opinion. There should be, when, when you're living the degree or level of following Christ that he's invited us to, it should be like day after day, like, man, I can't believe this just happened. I can't believe he just did. What would it look like as a church community if we started living a brand of Christianity with a what just happened expe- ex- expectation going into our week and into our days? If we just started praying towards that, like, hey, God, just blow my mind today. I'm yours. I'm available. I want you to do, so- I want you to do something radical in and through me. I'll tell you what, that's, that's more the brand of Christianity I'm interested in being part of. I don't know about you. I think if that was the prayer that we started praying, Rabbit Valley would look very different. Anybody else agree with that? Like things w- would change in this region. God would do a, could do a work if we started believing like that, if we started praying for those kind of works. Still the same God, still, still the same heart for lo- the lost, still the same pursuit of people that seem hopeless. The question is, what brand of Christianity will we choose to live? My prayer is that we would live one that says, man, I want, I want to have th- those adventures that God takes me on. Like, what just happened? Let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much for this text and picture. One, I thank you for the picture clearer of who you care about. Anybody that's bought into a lie that thinks that you don't care about them and they're more lost than can be reached, God, I pray that you would just rid them of that thinking. It's just a lie. I pray, God, that that would just not grip somebody any longer. I pray for anybody in this room that's never made the choice to embrace you as Lord and Savior, that this might even be that day that they choose to, choose to bend a knee to embrace you as who you are, not just a good prophet or a good man or a good teacher, but, but the Messiah, the one that came to save us, to rescue us. And I pray that somebody wouldn't leave today without getting that straight in their hearts and lives. Pray too for those of us that maybe have bought into a brand of, of safe religion that, that's not interested in showing up on, on shores with crazy people. I pray that you do a work in us, that you'd stir a passion because of the, the potential for life change. God, use us. Take us out of our safety nets, God. Get us out. Get us out there. Get, take us into this region, God. Use us mightily. We recognize we can only do that in the power of your Holy Spirit. Pray this all in your name. Amen. It's a wonderful truth to cling to. Healing is in his hands. I want to invite up the, a few elders and leaders at the front. If there's something that you'd like to have prayed over this morning, whether it's sickness or whether it's something weighing heavy on you, Or maybe you've never made that choice that we're talking about even here this morning to embrace Jesus Christ as Savior. We want to make that available here at the end of the service. Otherwise, I pray you have a fantastic week in the Lord. One of the ways once a month is we support folks in the community that have financial need is we have a deacon's fund that we give to. If you'd like to participate in that on your way out, you're welcome to have a wonderful week in the Lord. God bless you.